series as a church now. We're looking at the church. We've called the series Your Life and, and Church Life. And we're really wanting to understand how we should conduct ourselves in church life, what church life should look like. We come from lots of different cultures, lots of different backgrounds. We've had lots of different experiences. But what we want to do here as a church is we want to worship God. We want to honor God. We want to do things God's way. And so maybe as, as you worship here with us, you ask yourself the question, why do they or why don't they do that? And I hope and trust that every time that question is asked, the answer comes from God's Word. Right at the very beginning of this series, we, we underlined the point that the church is not Pastor James's church. It's not your church. There's no uh, GO of the church. There's no owner of the church. There's no founder of the church other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is Christ because Christ died on the cross to buy, to pay the ransom for the sins of his people. And so as the church is God's church, as God has founded it, as God has given his own son for it, as Jesus is the the head of the church, we have to look to Jesus, we have to look to God, we have to look to his word to guide us and to show us what we should be doing within church life. And the book of Timothy, the first letter of Timothy, is in many ways like a manual, a guide for what church should be like. So I know that a lot of you will have bought a new mobile phone. And then when you get a a new phone, it comes with a guide, doesn't it? In, In the olden days, when you got a guide, a manual, it used to be a big, thick book. Now it's an Adobe file, isn't it? And that Adobe file you open up and there is just pages and pages and pages and pages and pages of it. If you're over the age of 60 and you get an Adobe file like that, do you know what you do with it? You print it. Yeah, that's what happens. And it becomes about this thick. Now you you youngsters, you don't read it, but it's, it's all there, isn't it? Everything you need to know. And sometimes when your, your phone goes wrong, or your, 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 your Mac goes wrong, or your PC goes wrong, or something goes wrong, you then have to go back to, to find out what's going on. Now, we often nowadays don't go back to the manual, we just ask Google. And, and, and Google gives us a tutorial, Google gives us a, a YouTube video, and, and we watch that. Well, this is the church's Google. This is the Adobe file. This is all that we need as Christians to live our lives as a church to be guided. We're now in chapter 2 of of Timothy, 1 Timothy, and we're in chapter 2. And and we're going through this chapter. I thought we would do this chapter uh, just in uh, one sermon. But it hasn't worked out quite like that. We've done three sermons. This is the third. And God willing, this will be uh, the last But there's some deep things, and there's some challenging things in this chapter. And and the verses we come to now are these verses at the end. So if you have your Bibles open, please follow me uh, here. uh, 2 Timothy, and a chapter. So 1 Timothy, chapter 2, and just reading the last couple of verses uh, from verse uh, 13. Here it is. No, verse 12, sorry. Let a woman learn quietly, with all submissiveness. 
I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And yet, she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Well, previously we saw that as a church, we should be a praying church. And that's easy for us to understand, isn't it? We, we, we're quite happy to, to be a praying church. A church that's praying for leaders and, and rulers and, and those around about them so that we may be in peace with them. So that the gospel, the good news may go out. And, and then last week we were seeing that actually as we pray... It's not about so much about what we pray for. That's important. But what's really important is how we pray. And, and I'm not meaning how we pray. Do we kneel? Do we bow? Do we lift our hands? Do we put our hands together? Do we close our eyes? Do we prostrate ourselves? What's the correct physical posture for prayer? Well, there's no single correct physical posture for prayer. But there's a correct heart. A heart needs to be right before God. And these Ephesian men that Timothy was pastoring, some of them got angry and cross. And so they had a cross anger in their hearts and they were quarreling. And sin was getting in the way of their prayers. And Paul was telling Timothy, tell these brothers when they pray, to pray with lifted hands. Not so much that lifting the hands is important, but to be, have holy hands. Hands that are righteous. Hands that are not fighting, but hands that are trusting God. Hands that are not quarreling. Hands that are putting sins away. He wanted holiness. And just as men have got more of a propensity, more of a default to, to fight, we saw last week from God's words that ladies have more of an idea of keeping fashion. And, and beauty, uh, and beauty and fashion, and, and the outward appearance became more important than their holiness and their walk with God. And, and so we saw last week that the ladies, in their challenges, they had to remain holy. And so we just had the headings, men will be men, and that's the sins that men have to fight, and women will be women, and that's the sins that they have to fight. But we also thought, saw some confusion, and the confusion sort of happens nowadays when everything gets a bit messed up. And sometimes men are more concerned about fashion and, and how they look than they actually should be. And anything that takes God's place is an idol and sin. And any idol and sin will stop our prayers. And we saw that sin is sin, and sin needs confessing. And we have a call to being holy. And that's particularly in the context of all of our spiritual life. But here it's particularly talking about church life. And, and last week I mentioned something that came up in our discussions later. And I just want to clarify this because it's very, it's very important to clarify this. In, in God's Word, and particularly in the letters here, we have some things that are set out that are principles. They're principles, or you could call them rules almost. 
And so a principle is a rule, and then we have other things that are set out in God's Word that is an application of how that rule applies. And so, so the example here was from last week. In verse 9 of this chapter 2, it says, Likewise, the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braiding hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. We were seeing here that the principle is that women should be concerned about their heart. They should be concerned about their holiness And that will show in their apparel, in their clothing, which will be modest, and it will be self-controlled. That's the principle. The principle of holiness in the life of a lady, and uh, men as well, but particularly the example here is for for, for ladies, is that your apparel, your clothing needs to be modest and self-controlled. Now the application of that then was not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. Because back then, those were the things that were associated with girls and ladies that were prostitutes. Those were the things that were associated with girls and ladies that were very worldly and not Christ-like. And so we, we realize this passage is not telling you ladies you can't wear pearls or gold or braided hair. It's saying those things should not be the most important things in your life. You should be modest and self-controlled. So we have principles and we have application. And then that's really important as we come into uh, these verses now. Now if we thought that last week's verses were challenging, these verses this week eclipse them. Oh, I found they did. And just as last week we felt that we needed, we didn't feel, we knew we needed to have humility and to have a teachable spirit as we come to God's Word. We need that same attitude this week. We have to remember that this is God's Word, and God is speaking to us through His Word. And we need the Holy Spirit to enlighten His Word to us and apply His Word to us. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us. Because so much of what we're going to hear this morning from God's Word goes against today's culture. And we have to ask ourselves the question, who is right? What is right? Is God's Word right here? Or is the culture of today right? And so before I go on and carry on after my introduction, I want now just to really pray and ask the Holy Spirit's blessing upon us now as we look into this passage of God's Word. Almighty God, we thank you for gathering us together. We thank you that we have your Word open in front of us. We thank you, O Lord God, that we're not without hope or help when it comes to looking to your Word. We acknowledge, Almighty God, that we need you to be with us this morning, to guide us, to lead us, and to help us through this passage. We know that we need you to give us a humble, teachable spirit. We need you to give us understanding and enlightenment. We plead with you, Almighty God, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon each one of us here this morning, and he would meet us at our point of need, and he would open our eyes to what you would have us to hear. Keep us from a proud, haughty, wrong attitude. May we be willing to submit to your word through the power of your spirit. 
And Almighty God, I plead with you that your Holy Spirit would help me to convey the message that you have in a way that will bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. Well, I have a main heading for this sermon this morning. Three shocking statements. Three shocking statements. And we're going to go through them. And the first shocking statement I have for you this morning from verse 11 is, Let the woman learn. Let the woman learn. Verse 11 reads, and let women learn quietly with all submissiveness. And maybe you're thinking, Pastor James, you've missed the point. Let the woman learn is not shocking, but what is shocking, they should do it quietly with all submissiveness. We're going to go in a time capsule. We're going to travel back in time 2,000 years ago. And 2,000 years ago, if we were listening to this letter being read, if we were hearing Timothy bring this to us for the first time, if we heard those words, let a woman learn, our jaws would drop. We would be be shocked. Because normally... 2,000 years ago, when this letter was written, women did not learn. There were not those that were being educated. In fact, the Roman world was very sexist in today's vision and wrong. Because they considered women, females, to be academically inferior. That's the Romans. You ladies hold that grudge against the Romans, not me. I'm just the messenger. That, that, that's what they believed. And, and the Jews were no better. A- according to uh, some religious texts that were found in Jerusalem around this time, this is what they said. It would be better for the words of the Torah. That's the first five books of the Bible, yeah? The, the, the law. be better for the words of the Torah to be burnt than they should be entrusted to a woman. Can you imagine? So 2,000 years ago, when Timothy was bringing this message, and when Timothy said, let a woman learn, there would have been gasps. The men would be thinking, how can they? They're thick, they're stupid, they can't learn. All they're good for is doing the dishes and being around the house and cooking and having babies. How can they learn? And I'm sure there's women in the congregation going, yes, I knew it. We can learn. You see, this was scandalous in that time. This was shocking in that time. And we miss it because we're not in that time. But this was really counterculture. Paul was coming up against the culture of that day. Jesus himself came up against the culture of that day. And Jesus knew that men and women were equal. There was an equality with men and women. And he wanted men and women to learn. He wanted men and women to be able to come to Christ. He wanted men and women to know the Savior. He wanted men and women to learn. And and this was meaning that church life... Religious life was not just for men, it was for men and women. It was open for everybody. And those that were marginalized and pushed out, those that didn't have a position within religion, were being brought in. Now, yes, they were told to learn in a quiet and respectful way. But has anyone got a problem with that? When you go to a lecture in your university, what's the best way of learning? Quietly and respectfully. 
You see, so often what we do is we take the bits that we get upset with and we think this is saying something negative to women. This is not saying anything negative to women. 2,000 years ago, this is breathtaking. And even the thought of learning quietly and respectfully is not an issue because that's the way you should learn. If you were all up and talking and speaking now, would you learn anything? No, you need to be sat listening. You need to be submissive to what you heard. You see, they were to be submissive to what they learned. And what does that mean? If you're not submissive to what you've learned, you've not learned. Now, let me give you a very, very foolish, simple example of it. You have a child, and you want your child to learn things, don't you? You want your child to learn not to put their hand in the fire. And you tell the child, don't put your hand in the fire. It'll get burnt. Don't put your hand in the fire. It'll get burnt. And what does the child do? It puts his hand in the fire. Why? Because it hadn't learnt. It had just heard about it. And you see, if we are being submissive to what we learn, we're actually applying it in our hearts and our lives. You see, friends, there needs to be an equality in the church. We are all to learn from God's Word. No one is above God's Word. Everyone is under God's word. And just as the the ladies here were invited and told to come in and learn, we should be in this setting now realizing that we are all to be learning. We're all to be taught by God's word. And, And the way we are taught God's word, particularly in the context of this passage, is through teachers, through preachers, through elders that God blesses the church with. You see, in Paul's actual letter to the Ephesians, not speaking to the Ephesians through Timothy, as he is in this case, but in his actual letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4 and verse 11, it talks like this, and he says, And he gave, he gave pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. You see, we don't learn God's word to be a scholar. You don't learn God's Word to pass an exam. You you don't learn God's Word to to show off to the pastor or other people around about you. If you're doing any of those things, you've got it wrong. You don't just learn to gain knowledge. You don't learn from God's Word to become an elder. You learn from God's Word to be built up as a believer. And that's what we want from the preaching of the word here Sunday by Sunday. We want people to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And as people know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, to grow and to be built up. And how does that happen? By us all sitting under God's word and doing that quietly and being submissive to it. We do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to underline this again, that 2,000 years ago, to hear the phrase, let the woman learn, was shocking. And 2,000 years ago, it underlines the fact that God's economy and God's way are not the ways of the world. And God is outside of culture. And what is most important is what God wants.
But then we come to our second shocking statement. And I've paraphrased this shocking statement like this, and I'll explain why. Don't let the woman be elders. We see this expounded in verses 12 to 13. Verse 12 says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. We don't have to go in a time machine, do we, to think about this as being shocking, do we? Because right now, for a lot of people, these words are absolutely, totally, and utterly shocking. And maybe you're thinking like this right now, or maybe you know people that think like this, but suddenly you think, you can't tell women what to do. What right has Timothy, what right has Paul to tell me, as a woman, what to do? How can you tell a woman to shut up? What is going on here? How can you tell her, and as people's minds work, they think well, the, 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 what this passage is saying is that men are more important than women. How can you say these things? Shocking, isn't it? I, I don't think that I would get many follows and many likes if I put this up on my social media feed. In fact, I know that there'll be a lot of sisters, or so-called sisters, or sisters in solidarity with sisters, who would be complaining and saying, this is wrong, this is not right. You see, reactions like this are, are fueled by the culture of today. And I'm really sad to say that so often people react like this. Because men have took these verses in the past and applied them in ways that God did not intend. And as a result of men getting hold of these verses and implying them as God didn't intend them to be implied, they've abused their position as men. They have abused the role of woman within the church. In some cases, they have maybe even abused women, and consequently, they've brought shame to the church. A soft, naive example of this is sometimes within some churches, the only thing that the ladies can do is make the food and clean the building. And sometimes in some churches and settings, the idea is that the woman should just be seen and not heard. And for some certain men, they'll prefer them not to be seen. And that's how it's acted out. And that wrong teaching, and the culture of this day has brought more and more people to the conclusion that this passage is not saying this. This passage is not literally saying, don't let the woman be elders. Don't let the woman teach. Don't let the woman exercise authority. Make sure she's quiet. They say, that, that can't mean it. God's word can't mean that. There must be some other meaning to it. And so, when people... Look at this. 
they say, that can't be right. Now, at this stage, I want to explain why I gave the heading, Don't Let Women Be Elders. We've seen clearly what he said. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. Now, when we're studying God's Word, when we're looking at God's Word, one of the most important things that we have to be understanding it is its context. What is this verse saying in the context of the chapter? What is this chapter saying in the context of the book that it's in? What is this book saying in the context of the, the New Testament or the Old Testament that it's in? What is this Testament saying in the context of all of God's Word? We need to understand it within its whole keeping. And so as we take a little step back from this verse and look at the wider context, what is happening? God has spoken to Paul who's telling Timothy how the church should behave. This is how the church should behave. That's, that's a big thing. And as how the church should be, behave, we've just been taught that the church should be a praying church. We've just been taught that as we pray, we need to keep sin out of the way. And then we come to this difficult bit, and then immediately after this difficult bit, we get to chapter 3. And chapter 3 is a qualification of elders. The qualification of deacons. Who in the church should be the elder, the deacon? Who in the church should be the elder or pastor? Elder and pastor is, 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 is sort of a similar word there. And so when you take a step back and look at this, you realize that the same description of the elder is also the same word that's used here. Teach. The woman is not to teach. But just if we go into chapter 3 and we look at women, men in that situation there as elders, they are told that they must be able to teach. So it's the same root word. And then later in this same letter, we realize that those that have the particular responsibility for preaching and teaching should be held in respect. Chapter 5 and verse 11 of, of, of 1 Timothy, it says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, for those especially who labor in preaching and teaching. And so we have this teaching word again. And we have this idea that those that are teaching as an elder have a particular authority to do that role that's been given to them. And so this teaching here, that we have here, is, is, is consistent with what's been taught. You see, generally speaking, in Hebrews 13 and verse 17 is, is another example of it. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they have to keep watch over your souls to those who will have to give an account. And so as Paul is speaking via Timothy to these ladies, he is saying to them, look, you're not to be teachers and preachers. You're not to be elders. You're to be in submission. And then for a lot of people,
That's, that can't be right. How, why? Well, this is wrong. We have to also just take a step back and realize, gentlemen, here, if you've not been put in a position of being an elder, you too have to submit to the elders. You see, it's not just a matter of singling out females here. This, this, is, this is a principle here. That as God blesses the church with pastors, the church has a responsibility to come under their authority, if that's the word to use, and it is the word that is there. Obey leaders, your leaders in Hebrews 13, 17, and submit to them. They're keeping watch over you. They have to keep an account of you. And so the teaching... And the learning that the women were told to receive was not to commit, equip her to be an elder. She was not to exercise authority over a man. She's to remain quiet. And she's to listen. And she's to learn in that context. And it is cross-reference. We see it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in verse 33. And it says as in all the churches of the saints. So it's not just for Corinth, it's not just for Ephesus. It's in all the churches of the saints, the woman should keep silent in the churches. For they're not permitted to speak, but should be in subjection, as the law also says. You see, Paul is teaching the Ephesians. Well, Paul's not just teaching the Ephesians how to behave in church. He's not just teaching the Corinthians how to behave in church. He's teaching everybody how to behave in church. And so the, the, the principle that he's setting out here is that, ladies, you are not to be preachers or teachers. You are not to be elders. Now, some people will argue, and maybe that you are there with this argument, saying, well, no, actually, I think women have got every right to be elders. And, and this is just a cultural thing. This was just because 2,000 years ago things were different and, and men were misogynistic. And, well, you said earlier, James, they weren't even allowed to uh, listen and, and, and learn. And, and so being so backward, we've, we've, we've moved on from that now. And, and this is just a, a cultural thing. And it, it means something different now. And, and some people have gone to the lens of looking at the historic writings. And historic writings can help us. Historic writings can, can put a picture on what's happening. But historic writings and culture don't determine what God is saying. But anyway, some people have looked into the teaching and, and they realized from history that, that they allege that the, the temple of Diana, the women there were involved in teaching. And in the temple of Diana of Ephesians, women were involved in teaching and leading. And there was false teaching. And, and these women were bringing the false teaching into the church. And because the women were bringing the false teaching into the church, Paul said they got to be quiet. Now, that may be historically factual. I don't know. A scholar told me that that was the case. I haven't read the papers. I don't know. But I don't think that's how we interpret God's word, and particularly not in this situation. And I'll say for why, because Paul does not make any reference in his argument to the culture of the day. 
He doesn't say, you ladies be quiet because in the temples of Artemisus and the temple of Diana, you're making too much noise there and don't bring that into the church. He doesn't say, because you're bringing false teaching into the church, you get it wrong. Because in fact, whenever Paul calls out false teachers, you know what? They've all got men's names. We haven't found a female false teacher in God's word yet. Well, no, Sorry, in the context of, of, of Paul speaking there. So, why am I saying that this is a principle and not an application? Why am I saying that this is not by culture? Because the Apostle Paul does something far more important than arguing about culture. He takes this and he takes it right back to the law. Right back to Genesis. The reference in Corinthians says, as the law also says. And and in this example here, Paul goes on into verse 13 and says, For Adam was formed first then Eve. So in those days, yeah, culture again, both the Old Testament and the New Testament times, and I think this is very prevalent in, in African settings and certainly in Cyprus, who's the most important born person in the family? It's the firstborn, isn't it? The, the, the firstborn son gets the lot, doesn't he? Who's going to become the chief? Who's going to become the king? Who's the firstborn son? Who's going to inherit everything? The firstborn son. And and so this is something that's been there throughout the whole of time. And so when Paul just said, look, Adam was formed first, well, he has the rights. He's the firstborn. And and so for them, they'd have immediately said that. And we said, oh, we're past that. We have equality. Okay, let's carry on and look at what happened at creation. Because it's much deeper than just saying the first formed, the firstborn. When, when we read Genesis, 20, Genesis 1, in verse 27, we read, and we must underline this, and this is just so important. God created man and woman, didn't he? God created them in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, in the eyes of creation and God, we are equal. And and when we carry on a little bit further, when God looks at his creation, when he looks at what he's done, when he looks at man and woman after he's created them on that sixth day, he says something different to all the other days. All the other days, he takes a step back from his creation. He looks at his handiwork and says, it's good. Day two, it is good. Day three, it is good. Day day six, he looks and he sees Adam and Eve and he says, very good. He doesn't say, very good, Adam, good Eve. There's not a distinction. Adam and Eve are made in God's image. He created them in the image of himself. And he made them male and female. There's a difference. He didn't make them both male. He didn't make them both female. They're different. But they are created in the image of God, and they are equal in the image of God. And there is a righteous equality which we should be definite about. But at the same time as there is an equality in them being created, there's a difference in man and woman. We can look around this room and we can quickly say, man, woman, man, woman, we can see the difference. And in, in the nature and the character of male and female, there's differences. And then just last week, we were thinking men are much likely to fight. And girls are much more likely to look after their beauty. 
Because we are made differently, although we are equal in the eyes of God and created in his image, we're made differently. And because Adam was created first, God gave him a different role to do. There is equality in ourselves as human beings, but there is a difference in the roles that are applied. And Adam, right at the very beginning here in this chapter 2, he gives him work. He puts him in the garden and says, you've got to look after the garden. He he brings all the animals in. Adam, you've got to name all the animals. What a job was that? Yesterday we were playing a game on the beach. Uh, Concentration, concentration. He had to name animals. And we could only get about five, and then someone would make a mistake and it would all go wrong. Adam was there, and his job was dreaming up hundreds of names of animals. Can you imagine if sat there an elephant? We'll call this an elephant and a giraffe. But in this, that wasn't the only thing God spoke to him. God also said, look, there's fruit here, and you can eat all the fruit, but don't eat that one. That one is not for you to eat. And he says, if you do eat it, you will surely die as a consequence. And God spoke those things to Adam. And Eve wasn't there. And as Adam was doing his work, naming these animals, God looked on and God realized, yes. Adam needs somebody. Adam needs an Eve. And just as God created Adam out of the dust and breathed life into him, he didn't do Eve that way. He made you ladies in a different way. He took a rib from Adam. First, first record of surgery happening in the world there. God was the surgeon. He takes out a rib. And then around that rib of Adam, he forms Eve. And he makes Eve to complement Adam. He makes Eve to be a helper to Adam. He is in, she is in the likeness of God because he said that. She's very good because he said that. There's an equality there, but there was a purpose that she was made, and it was to complement Adam and to be a helper to Adam. And then God gave Eve to Adam, and Adam proved that Eve was his because what did he do? Who named Eve Eve? That was Adam's job because Adam came first, and he had a role. And his role was to do that. His role was to care for the garden, care for his wife, to be a spiritual leader to him. And Adam and Eve were given this really important task to do. The important task was to populate the whole world. Could Adam do that task without Eve? No. And could Eve do that task without Adam? No. They needed each other to do the work that God had called them to. Now, we might not like that, but that's how it is. And just as you might not like it, in all honesty, Adam and Eve had a problem with it. Because verse 14 just goes on and says that Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And if we read a little bit further on into Genesis, we read the account of the, the snake coming out, being more crafty than anything else. And he attacks the Eve and comes out with the lies and Adam's right beside her. So this is not denying that Adam sinned. Adam sinned. 
This is not saying that Adam's sin was any less. In fact, Adam's sin was worse. Because Adam had ultimate responsibility. Adam was called out to be the one that was protecting and looking after. Adam had taught Eve God's words and said you shouldn't eat it. That had been passed down to her. Eve's failing was rather than obeying to do what she was told to do via Adam, she believed the lie of the devil. She surpassed, she superped, usurped Adam's authority, and she rebelled against God. She didn't like the role that she had. She thought she could do better. And in all honesty, Adam hadn't took his role on properly. You see, Adam's role was to protect. Adam should have kicked that serpent out of sight. But Adam left his wife to lead when he should have been leading. Adam capitulated and said, no, I think you're right. Let's do this. This underlines the problem of every sin. It underlines the fact that the devil tempts our weakness. Eve's particular weakness was to be deceived. And females, whether you like this or not, you are more gullible than men. It's just the way it is. And men, just as Adam was tempted in his weakness not to lead and not to protect, we can do exactly the same. And what Genesis is shouting out to us is men and women must stick to the roles that God gave them and not that their own minds make up and not what society tells them to do. This is a principle because it goes right back to the very beginning. And if we want a church to be functioning in the way God wants it to be, we have to hold on to the principles and especially the principles that go right back to the beginning. But some people who don't like this teaching, they they will argue and they'll say, well, there's lots of examples in the Bible of women who are leaders. There's lots of examples in the Bibles of, of, of people that do great things, ladies that do great things, and they're absolutely right, there is. And I'm so thankful to God for the ladies of the Bible. And I'm so thankful to the ladies that are in this church and Christian ladies that have been part of my life. But there are no female priests or Levites in the Old Testament. You will not find one. You can try, but you won't. It wasn't their role. And in the New Testament, there are no female elders. You won't find them. Some people try and twist the scriptures to to make one an apostle. And if you look into the original and look into it, you can't do it. You might want to try, but you cannot do it. But what we have to remember is that throughout this list of great ladies that were used mightily of God, we have to take a step back and underline the fact that the church needs women to be part of it. And the church needs men to be part of it. But the men should do the roles that God is calling them to, and the women should do the roles that he is calling them to do. And when men start trying to do women's stuff, and women start trying to do men's stuff, it goes wrong, and badly wrong. 
And it goes against what God has said. Acts 9, we have this wonderful account of Dorcas, wonderfully used of God. Acts 16, we have an example of Lydia, again used of God. Acts 18, we have Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife, and they were used mightily. And we read Romans 16. As you go through Romans 16, that, that, that almost like a, I don't know, who's who of the great Christian people of that time. It's full of ladies. God's church needs ladies. Ladies, you are valued. You have a purpose. You have something to do, but you're not to be elders. And you're not to preach. Why? Because God's word says so. And creation mandates it. And I think at LPC, as we go forward, we need to be more diligent in working out how everyone can be involved in church life. And we need to use the gifts and the abilities of our female ladies here to God's glory. I thank God for you. I thank God for your gifts and your abilities. But you're not going to be preaching and leading as elders because that's not your role. And God willing, in the weeks ahead, and the part of the reason we're going through this series is we want to appoint new elders to the church here at LPC. We want more people to, to come alongside and serve with the elders so that we can be more robust, so that we can extend God's kingdom and work harder for his glory. And one of the key things we'll be looking for to start off with is men. Because God's word is telling us. That's not because the elders currently don't like women. Don't think they should. It's because God's word here tells us that that is the way it should be. So we haven't been shocked enough. We're going to quickly clear up with our last shocking statement. Three, verse 15. Childbearing saves. Childbearing saves. Talking with the lady, and yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Shocking statement. Childbearing saves you. Does it? Well, there's four kind of explanations here, yeah? Uh, the, The first one I want to mention is there is physical salvation and childbirth, yeah? 2,000 years ago, giving birth to a child is a dangerous thing quite often ended up in people dying or the baby dying. And even now, it can be difficult and challenging. And even now, with all the medical intervention, we hear of ladies who lose their lives in childbirth. And some people have said, well, what's actually being said here is that the lady, when she gives birth, she'll be saved. She won't die. So any Christian lady that gives birth, according to some people, this verse says, don't worry, you won't die. And then some very clever person went back to Diana of the Ephesians and realized that she was a God who looked after and protected women at childbirth. And then for all those ladies that had turned their back on Diana and were coming to faith, Paul needed something to pull them in a bit quicker. And so he said, ah, just as Diana protected you, God protects you. Except he does it better because he's bigger. Well, I'm not buying this. And the big problem with this is there are Christians who have died in childbirth. It's a tragedy. Why? I don't know. It's God's plan and God's perfect plan. But this cannot be the answer. 
And, and so some people say, well, actually it means that there is spiritual salvation through childbirth. It's a second idea that some people have. Uh, and so people actually view this verse that the soul of a lady shall be saved through having children. I've got a big problem with that. That's called the rest of the Bible. The rest of the Bible does not teach that, does it? Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. Yeah? Or open bracket, ladies, and having a child, close bracket. It's, it's, not, it's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. So, so childbirth cannot save you. The only way to be made right with God is through Jesus. It's not about what we do, but it's about what's been done for us. So that can't be right. So a third view that's, that's out there is, is that there is spiritual salvation in the home. And so what they're saying is, is some commentators suggesting that women will experience salvation equal to men by fulfilling their function in the home, just as the men should be fulfilling their function. And that's sounding a bit like works to me. But, but they, they carry on by saying that they're, they're saved by grace... Uh, and they, and they, they've got this important role to play. That their important role is to be in the family. Their important role is to be bearing children. Uh, and church leadership is not their responsibility. Now, the big problem I have with this is not all women are part of a home. Some are called to singleness for all their lives. Some of them are not in that situation. And I also think that this can lead to sexism. Because it goes back to that old idea, okay, the ladies, all they're ever good for is having children and keeping home. And that is not what God's Word teaches. God's Word unequivocally teaches that ladies have the privilege and the responsibility of childbirth and home life. But there's other things, lots of other things that they should be and can be involved in. And so this can be taken wrongly. And the fourth one, which is the one that I've come to most sympathy with, although I'm not fully persuaded on any of them totally, but this is sort of where, where I am at the moment. And that is what I mentioned last week. But that is spiritual salvation is through the incarnation, through the birth of Jesus Christ. You see, what's going on in the verses before here is Paul is taking us back to Genesis and back in Genesis, we see men and women made equally, see men and women told to uh, populate the world. We see men and women falling. And then in the fall, in chapter 3, there's a promise made. And there's a promise that her offspring will come. And her offspring will stamp on the head of the serpent. And the serpent will bruise his heel. It was pointing forward to Jesus. And so I think what we're seeing here is the fact that our salvation is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And how did the Lord Jesus Christ come into this world? He was born of the Virgin. He was brought into this world. He was birthed into this world. The, the humility and the majesty of God Almighty allowing His Son, His Son coming into this world as a helpless babe is the way that we are saved. The way that 
ladies are saved. The way that boys and girls are saved. And so as I look at this passage, and I have to confess, I'm not totally persuaded by all of these, any of these views. Two of them, absolutely not. The third one, maybe. The fourth one, I look much more warmly on. What I am persuaded of is this. That faith is a way of salvation. For by grace you have been saved. Grace, we don't deserve this. We don't deserve Christ coming into this world and paying the price for our sins. We don't deserve it, but grace has given it to us. And we receive this gift by faith. And this faith, we don't even get it ourselves. This faith is gifted to us. And so as we come to the end of this section, the thing that I am absolutely sure of, And the thing that is essential and the thing that is most important to us is are you right with God through Jesus Christ? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you been saved through faith? Do you know that gift of grace? There's salvation for all who come to the Lord through Jesus. When we see our sin when we repent of our sin, in faith we come believing that Jesus has paid the price, has done the atoning work on the cross. We can be made right with God. And friends, how do you know that you've been made right with God? Did you get a halo? Did did, did the friends that were baptized yesterday come out with shining white faces looking like angels? Does suddenly everything change and the birds start singing in a different key and you go to cross the road and all the cars stop for you? Is that what becoming a Christian does? Is, is there a great feeling in your heart that makes a difference? No, this is what happens, friends. You will grow in love and in holiness and in self-control. And that's what God wants from any church. A church to be growing in love and in holiness and in self-control. And our holiness shows itself in obedience to God and keeping to the roles that he has given us. Men being men, doing what God has called men to do. And woman being woman, doing what God has called woman to do. And doing it in love and holiness and self-control. And we can do it because the gift of faith has been given for us. And Christ has paid the price. Amen.